Thank you, AJ. You're turning to Revelation chapter 20. I'm actually going to start, well, you can turn with me if you want as well. In Hebrews, we were just studying Hebrews, and Hebrews 10.26 has been, I don't want to say haunting, but lingering on in my mind for weeks now. Hebrews 10.26, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As we study... uh, Revelation chapter 20 today, we're looking specifically at God's judgment revealed. There's a lot going on in Revelation 20, but we're only really focusing on this bigger picture of, is there a hell? Is hell real? Um, we want to take a look at that because today there's there's a lot of confusion. We just sang some songs and you know, part of the devil's schemes, right? In the beginning in the garden. If, if you disobey God, surely you're not going to die, right? You're, you're not going to die. It's just a piece of fruit. It's the same lie Satan's been propagating from the beginning. Will you die? Is there consequences? Is there hell? Is there eternal punishment? And unfortunately, a lot of, People have given way to, well, no. We've, we've got verses. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? The whole world. Um, they forget the part of, well, whoever believes in him will not perish. What does that mean exactly? Um, we, we understand that in, in, the, in the grip of, of God, who could peel away God's grip from, from the children that he's adopted and saved. Nobody. Nobody can rob a, a believer from the throne of grace. And, and so we're, we're talking about hell today, but we're, we're just a couple things. We're, we're, we're not talking about people losing their salvation to go to hell. We, we, we don't believe that. Um, but, but can we be self-deceived? Can we be self-deceived and think that we, we are okay? But as Hebrews said, well, if you have this, this continuous pattern of willful sin, then you're trampling on the grace of God. And remember in Hebrews 10, this isn't a free grace. 
the gift is free to us, but the price was paid by the Son of God on the cross. He died on the cross. He, he suffered greatly to pay that price for us. And so if we are willfully sinning, then we would say, well, where's the fruit? Where's, where is the proof that you actually had belief? So separating some of those big theological debates of once saved, always saved, and you know that kind of a thing, I, I want us to focus in and, and, and on this concept that, that hell is real. Hell is real, and there's a reason why God is, is telling us. There's a reason why there's, there's a warning. I'm, I'm a parent. I warn my children. We have many parents here. We warn them. Why? We don't want them hurt. Why, why don't we teach kids to run out in the middle of the street? It's kind of fun. If you've ever played Frogger, um, Dad, close your ears. Um, I, I, when I was a little kid, there was this big giant freeway. The five freeway goes all the way down to California. And in L.A., there's, there's, in Glendale where I grew up, there's this uh, city called Outwater. And they had this big giant river. It's a wash. It's paved. And um, for us, that was the closest thing to a river we had. And, you know, on summer day when we were out playing and, and doing whatever we wanted to do, well, one of the things we liked to do was we would go uh, get these golf balls and then, you know, from this golf course that was across the street from the freeway. Now, if you went around, it would take you like two hours to go all the way around. There was like a tunnel that went under. Or you could cross the freeway, um, which was a five-lane freeway on both sides and stuff. And now we had, you know, we, we were kids that... We crossed the street and we walked around and that kind of stuff and jumped on trains and whatever. And so that was fun. It was fun to to cross the freeway. Now, what I didn't realize was in my mind, I was in complete control, right? I know that all I have to do is run to this lane like Frogger and no cars are there and I'll just wait. Let the car go by and then go to the next lane, right? And then wait. Well, I had no idea that like, you know, my daughters might be driving and just the, just the fact that there's a person in the middle of the freeway would probably cause them to just drive into them and run them over, even though they were perfectly fine in their own lane. But we've been there. You know, you see the deer, and, and it's like he's off to the side. And it's like, well, do I just drive by the side, or do I try to outfox him, knowing that if I try to drive beside him, he's going to jump in front of me anyway. So I'm going to go left. He's going to go right, and you're out, you know, and you end up hitting him anyway. Well, so my dad, you know, hey, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Right. Don't a lot of don'ts of what I can't do. Why? Because he loved me and he didn't want me to get run over by a car, especially himself, which almost happened <laughs> twice. Can all, I couldn't, now I get it, Dad. I get it. Had, had I run over my own child, that would, could there be anything worse? I, I make light of this, but here's the deal. God gives us warnings like a parent to protect us. Sometimes Dad would say, look, if you do this, this is what I'm going to do. 
and he would lay it out. And that did not look good at all, right? Um, we've done that as parents. Why? We do that out of love. And God is giving us his instructions to prevent not, not just the church, but the whole world from ever, ever having to enter into hell. When God said it's, he, he so wills that all shouldn't perish, that is his desire. He's going to warn everybody in the universe. He's going to provide atonement for everybody in the universe. He's going to have his creation for everybody in the universe. Why? So that everybody can bow before the throne of God. But everybody's not going to do that. And unfortunately, there's, there's a place of consequence. The denial of hell comes in different forms. Some believe in annihilation, right? Where, where once you die, you're just like, it's all over. It all ends. It's just, you're done. You're, you, you perish. There's no more. Some others believe that there's like a, a temporary holding place while you, while you work it out again. While you, you know, you're, you're in this, this place of amends or restitution. Uh, some call that purgatory. But probably the more common one is, is it's, a, it's an old term. It, it's not new. It, it keeps coming up over and over and over again. Uh, Pelagius uh, thought of this a long time ago. It, it comes in different names and forms. It's called universalism. One of the sides of universalism is, well, it's polytheistic. All religions, all gods, all beliefs are all going to the same place, Right? The other one has a, a less open view, but in, in saying that all people that die go to heaven, it's really saying the same thing. It's just a different version of universalism. How does this happen? Well, like I said, people will, will misread scripture. They'll only read half of the sentence. They'll only read, you know, for God so loved the world. And, and they just kind of stop there. See? God loved the world, so the whole world saved. First uh, Timothy 2, 4, 2 Peter 3, 9 talks about that idea of God you know, having this desire that, that all would not perish. In 1 John, we see a great example um, of, of, again, what, what looks like a verse that says, well, God loves everybody, right? Um, 1 John 2, 10 says, the one who loves his brother buys his brother of light. Oh, wait, that's the wrong one, sorry. Uh, 110. <clears throat> nope, that's the wrong one too. First um, John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Stop right there. If anyone sins, we, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, right? It's true. It's right there. It's in print. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. The crazy thing is, is the book of first John is, it's a harsh book. And when, when I, I know a lot of people have recommended that somebody were not a believer, a new believer, they should read first John. And it's like, no way. First John is just like, if you don't obey me, then you will die. If you don't confess, then you... I mean, it is really um, in your faith. And, and, and 
and, and very quickly. What we see then in 1 John, when you read the whole context, the, the whole thing, is you're, you're going to see the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for him to stumble. So there, if, if you're in the light, you're, <clears throat> you're, you're not going to stumble. Verse 15, but do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who abides and does the will of the Father will abide forever. And so we see that, you know what, you have to, you have, to have the complete context. You have to have the complete story. We want to understand the complete story. And so it's very, very important that we, uh, we understand that if, if you're going to have this belief system in heaven that you're going to get from reading the Bible, then, then you can't avoid that the Bible very clearly tells us about, about hell as well. And so today we're going to see that God's judgment is, is revealed. It's revealed very, very clearly here in, in uh, Revelation 20. Um, God's judgment is fair. It's fair. And so we're going to see it in three different ways. The great white throne judgment, uh, the judgment of condemnation, and then finally, judgment by fire. So back to Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented Day and night, forever and ever. So, first of all, there is a devil. There is a Satan. Okay, the devil, Satan, it's not allegorical. He's real. Okay? There is a devil, there is a Satan. And there is a place. There is a place called the lake of fire and brimstone. Where there's torment day and night, forever and ever. That's not good. That's, that's not a good place. Um, some, some background. This isn't a new concept. Remember the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Bible's almost over, right? Throughout the scriptures, we've seen this, this place that's been described in many different ways. Uh, Sheol, you've probably heard of that. It's uh, Genesis 3, 735. It was the, the place of death. Where, where did people go when they died? They went to Sheol. Uh, Abaddon, in the Hebrew, means the a place of destruction. It also became known as synonymous with hell. In Ezekiel 31, 15, it talks about this place below the ground. Or Job 10, 21, uh, a place of darkness. There's always been a somewhat of a, of, of a mystery, right, of, of where, where exactly hell is. But we're given enough. We're given enough information to know and to put it all together when you put the totality of Scripture. In Second Chronicles, there's a great picture. Second Chronicles 28, 1 through 3, the Valley of Hanan, which is a place outside of Jerusalem's walls. And it was the place where... Uh, one of the false gods was named Moloch, and they would actually have 
human sacrifices and worship. And so this place would, would, was also the place where, where they would dump all their garbage. See, we, we don't think of it now because, you know, big trucks come in and drive our trash and take them. We don't even know where. We don't even care. It's just gone. Well, in the old days, there would be a place outside of the city. And it would just stack and stack and, and mount there, right? Well, so what would they do with this rubbish? What would they do with it? Well, they would burn it. So the garbage, the trash, would be taken to this place outside of the city where it would be burned. And there would always be these smoldering fires, right? There would be, you know, maggots and stuff like that, right? Places, you know, with festering worms. This is the Valley of Hanan. And it paints this picture then of, of the fate of the damned. So th- this is where the, the damned go. They go to this place of darkness. They go to this place of torment. They go to this place of fire. It's, it's like that. And so early on in the Old Testament, they had a, a picture of hell is, 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 is like that dump. It's, it's, it's not good. In the Greek, the Greek Septuagint, when they, when they were codifying the Bible in the early days and they had the Hebrew Bible, right? And then the Greek Bible, well, because most of the learned people of the age spoke Greek, they, they created one Bible called the Septuagint. All that means is the Bible was translated in all Greek. Okay? So when the Septuagint would look at Hebrew words, translate them into Greek words, uh, we would translate words like Sheol got translated into Hades, right? We're all familiar with that term. Uh, Hades was known as that underworld, uh, the abode of the dead. Uh, it was a place of real and eternal judgment and punishment. Keep in mind, the, the Greeks and all their mythologies start, you know, implanted all these different concepts into their, into their gods. And so there was always a place of, of the judged. There was a place of the unjudged. There was a place of, of heaven, Right? Well, where did they get it from? They got it from their kind of misunderstandings of different biblical concepts. And this is why we are where we're at today, because there's always been false teaching. There's always been confusion in the teaching. So you come to 2019 and like, yeah, the Greek and the Roman gods, those are, those are all fake. So everything that we come to believe with them that there was a God Almighty, a Zeus, that there was a, a heaven, that there was a, a hell, that there was... All of it's just fake and made up. That's how people, unbelievers, view the Bible. This is just, you know, folklore and stories. But see, they got their ideas from the truths that they extrapolated falsely from the Bible, or partly. In the New Testament, we see uh, the term of, of hell... Uh, to Gehenna. And again, it's Matthew 18 describes it. this place of, of darkness again, a weeping, and then now the new one, the gnashing of the teeth. Uh, Romans uh, 2 again reminds us it's a place of wrath. It's, it's everlasting destruction. So it's not just like this one big bad punishment. It's everlasting. Uh, Hebrews 10.27 again talks about that it's eternal. It goes on forever and Ever. There's fire. Jesus. You guys realize that Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven? Think about that for a second. Because 
we don't like the idea of bringing up the negative side, right, of hell. But what I'm telling you, and the reason why we're doing is, it's essential for us to understand the true gospel. We've said it before. What's the good news? The good news is, you're all sinners. And me being the chief one of them. And and as much as we try, we, we can't stop sinning. And the wages of sin is death. Because of your sin, unless you can write a big enough check, which you can't, unless you can do enough services, which you can't, unless you can preach enough sermons, which you can't, unless you can do that, you're going to die and go to hell. But you know what? I've got good news. God loved us and sent us a son to pay the price for our sins. That's amazing news. It's amazing grace. How do we have good news if we don't have the bad news? It doesn't even make any sense, right? So, Jesus talks about all the time. 12 times he talks about hell. 20 times he talks about this fiery judgment. Matthew 25 is is where he talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats. Um, And so it shouldn't be mysterious to us that there is a hell, but yet... Many people are trying to do away with it. So, back to our three ways that God judges fairly. The first way is the great white throne judgment. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place found in them. So what is this? Great white throne. Well, first of all, a throne instantaneously should help us to understand we're talking about a king, right? This is a king's throne. This is the one who's in charge and in command. Throughout the book of Revelation, we we see Jesus being described as three things. As a lamb, as incarnate God, the triune Godhead, and as the king, the Messiah. The final coming Messiah that everybody was waiting for when he came the first time. Well, this is the king. And this king sits on the throne, his status, his power, and his authority, all there. We turn with me to Revelation 5. Revelation 5. And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a book written inside on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Verse five. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Just speaking to John. Behold, the lion, Jesus, right? That is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Messiah, has has overcome so as to open the book of its seven seals. Remember the, se- the vision, the seven seals come. Who is worthy? Who's worthy to break open the seals? Nobody's worthy to break. Wait, wait a minute. We have the lion. We have, we have from the root of, of David, and the lamb, the lion and the lamb. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain 
and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests of, of our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and, might, and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13, and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them. I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. The book of Revelation is revealing who Jesus is. Jesus is the king. And this king is the lamb king. He's the one who was slain. So he has all the right, all the authority, all the power to do what? To forgive, to show grace. But he also has the power and the authority to judge. By whose name? By his name. By whose authority? By his authority. Who paid the price? He paid the price. This is the the Jesus that we don't hear about all the time. It's ironic because Jesus was rejected by the first century church, or, or not church, but the first century Jews, and because he wasn't powerful enough. Now when we see his power, it's like, whoa, we don't like that. That's too harsh. But Jesus is the king. He's the righteous one who sits on the throne. Matthew 25 Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, when Jesus comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He who sits on His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is judgment. And He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the great white throne judgment is, is this judgment where, where Jesus is on the throne. He sits on the throne. And he is the one who then is going to, to be the judge. Well, the understanding, and, and we don't have time to get into all of it today, but the understanding is this is there's there's three types of judgments that we see throughout the New Testament. Three types. One is we see the separation of the sheep and the goats, right? Here's the separation. We also see this Bema judgment seat in 2 Corinthians 5:10, which seems to be the kind of judgment where it's it's the believers. The believers are judged and and in essence, found innocent because of the blood of Jesus. Not that they're innocent in their sin, but now they have been forgiven. So that's another judgment. And then the final, final judgment, which is the great white throne judgment. And so the idea then is, well, believers aren't going to be the ones that are going to be um, judged for their deeds. And we'll see that more as we go through. Why? Well, because if we were judged for our deeds, we would be damned and going to hell too. So we have to be judged by something else. What are we judged by? The blood of Christ. That's what we're judged by. There's, there's a great book um, that uh, 
bread a long time ago, and it had that idea that that it was the, as as God is 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 sitting, you know, on the throne. If 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 it looked like this, where you would have to stand before before him and kind of lay out your life and all your sin, what happens at that point is is Jesus stands right in front of you, and so it's like all all, all God can see is is Jesus. He can't see you. Because if he could see you, then you'd be guilty, right? Um, so the great white throne judgment. Remember, believers don't reserve any kind of special rewards. This is why there's a warning. This is why Christ warns us. This is why we see warnings even in Hebrews as a reminder. Hey, look, there is a judgment coming. You don't want to be any part of it. You don't want to be any part of that judgment. Well, the second judgment that we see revealed in these passages is the the judgment of condemnation, verse 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the death were judged from the things which were in the books according to their deeds. And when the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. So this idea of, of, of condemnation, right, is, again, you got to put yourself back in, in the trial, and you're, you're standing before the, the judge. Well, condemnation, you are condemned, you are already found guilty. Now we're at the penalty phase. A judge does a couple things, right? One of them is he makes sure that the, you know, all the laws are being upheld and, you know, in the court. And, and he makes that judgment whether you're innocent or guilty. But he, he also does a final thing, which is the sentencing, right? He, he can give a sentencing. A judge can give a sentencing very, very lenient. Well, it's a first-time offense where, you know, let's six months on the chain gang and, and you're out. Or, you know, this is your third time, three strikes and you're out kind of a deal. The judge has latitude. We even see this today. You can be on death row and you can see the element of judging with like the governor can, you know, at the last second make sure that, you know, you're, you're not um, executed. So we, we, we see a, a grace element there. We've, we've always seen this element of, of judges having the ability to have a lesser payment for those who are condemned. Well, this isn't then the, the trial part. This is the part that, that says, look, th- th- this is the, the sentencing. And, and how, how does this work? Well, he... He sees the dead, the, the great and the small, standing there before the throne. And the books were opened. I always find that interesting when, when the Bible just kind of throws out these lines like, oh yeah, the books, plural, multiple books. Everybody in this room is very, very familiar with the book of life, right? We love the book of life. Going to be written in the book of life. What's the book of life? Again, you stand before the judgment seat. The judge is looking at you. There's all the sin. And oh, wait, wait a second. Hey, this is Susan Jamie. She's in the book of life. 
Pass on through, ma'am. Go. Right? But there's other books. Uh, the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged. This is the books of judgment. Books, volumes upon volumes. Um, verse 11 says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from those whose presence, earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. There wasn't anywhere they can go where you can escape the eye of God, the judgment seat, right? There's nowhere to escape. You're either in the book of judgment or you're in the book of life at this point. Um, and you're judged then according to your deeds. See, the difference between Susan and the others is Susan's forgiven. Not that she's innocent. Trust me, she's not innocent. Um, I could talk to you all day about it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> See, the book says doesn't say she's not innocent. The book says she's not guilty. Right? Not guilty. She is now in the, the book of life. But soak this in. Little, you know, again, you, you, know, you absorb this and go, you know, there's books that are written and some of them are, are writing down the deeds. The deeds. I want that book of Tony Jamie burned. I, I don't want anybody to see that book, right? I, I don't want I don't want that book anywhere near the judgment seat. The only book I want God seeing, Jesus seeing before the judgment seat, is the book of life, and it doesn't have to say kumusum loud or magna nothing, right? No ribbons, no tassels. I just want to be in the book. That's it. Um, because the wages condemnation there's a judgment of condemnation there's a judgment for those who are who are in sin and the sin Romans 6.23 says your wages what you have earned is death what death? well we're seeing a picture and we're going to see even more of a graphic picture in a couple minutes this picture of of hell. That's the wage that we've earned. That's the age that the condemned, the wage that the condemned will receive unless they have the grace of God. Well, the problem with one of the problems with this scenario is we struggle as human beings with this idea of fair. Right? That's not fair. What's not fair? Well, it's not fair that somebody gets something more than what I get. Well, did you deserve it? No. Okay, but, but it's not fair. Ooh, we get that. I mean, we, we really, we, we understand. I was listening to a, a, a talk show. There was a, an event that happened in, in an NBA game, and one of the owners pushed one of the players. Right? What do you do with them? He's a part owner. Do you 
fine him a million dollars. It's a million dollars for, you know, touching somebody. Um, do you ban him from being at the games? Do you take away his ownership? What do you do? What's the penalty phase of the condemnation? Well, everybody's going to argue forever about what the right thing and the wrong thing to do. You, you, the judgment or, or the penalty phase of the judgment is always under scrutiny. Because we, we always have different levels of what we feel is, is enough punishment. Some people are more gracious than other people. You know, how many, how many swats should you get? One or 25? Right? You can debate all day long over the number. The problem is, is when you have grace being given out, you're, you're in line, right? You're standing in line and, and you're, you're listening. I, I used to do small claim court uh, when I was uh, one of my first jobs. And I would go there and, you know, you're sitting there waiting for the different cases. And you're, you're listening to all the different trials that are going on. It's really fascinating. And, and as you're listening there, you know, you start to get, all right, I think I'm going to do pretty good because my case look a lot like their cases, you know? Well, imagine you're sitting there and, you know, murderer guy gets up there, you know, and he's, oh, you, you, he's getting ready to, to read all this stuff. And you go, oh, you're in the book of life. Just pass on by, you know, and then here comes the, 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 the thief and here comes the liar and the swindler and the adulterer and the fornicator and the homosexual and all kinds of different, you know, people who have done sinful activities, but now who have bowed the knee before the throne of God and have repented and now walk in his grace, but they've done sin and, and they're getting pardoned. And then you're like, hey, I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And you walk up there and say, wait a second. You have a continuous lifestyle of bearing no fruit and of willfully sinning against the Lord and trampling on my grace. But see, the only thing you can think of is, yeah, but that guy killed somebody. And so we don't like grace. We really don't. It's not fair and it's hard to explain. It's really hard to explain. Can Charles Manson go to heaven? He could if he had confessed with his mouth and believed in his heart that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and was obedient. He could have. I don't think he did. Um, and so there's hope. There's hope. And thankfully that hope isn't in what we physically do because, again, we, we struggle. You see, God's judgment is fair. We see His judgment finally re revealed by this, this fire. Verse 14. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Up until this point in the scriptures, we've, we've seen fire described. We, we've seen torment described. We've seen uh, punishment described. But at this point now, we, we, we get a bigger sense of, okay, so here's this place that's called hell. It was prepared originally for Satan and his demons, but... Now the, the club's gotten bigger. More and more people decide, you know what? I do not want what God has to offer. Make no mistake. People get to 
hell because of Luke 23, 30. Even when Jesus comes back and they can see him on the charger and they can see that the heavens open up, what are they going to say? Mountains fall on me. They don't want grace. They don't want Jesus. They don't want it. And if, and if you don't think that's even possible, just remind yourself of the Pharisees. They could see it right in front of their face and still reject it. They can do it. They will do it. And they already have done it. Okay, don't be shocked. But that's how you end up ultimately receiving the full weight of your condemnation, receiving the full weight of, of judgment, receiving the full weight of your sin. And then that's going to put you in this place called hell. And unfortunately, it seems to be getting bigger because now this, this dark place of fire is a lake of fire. It's big. And that's heartbreaking. And it's eternal. The second death. It's, it's, not only do you live life and die, but now you go before the, the, the judgment seat to face a final, eternal, tormenting torture of hell. Yes. Yes. Again, we, we've, we've, seen, we've seen the verses. We've seen the passages. This is what, what God has laid out for you. Not because he wants you to be there. That's the whole point. The warning is there. Look, if, 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 if you cross the street, this is what I'm going to do to you. Believe me, the warning, as harsh as it may be, um, doesn't always work, does it? So, like we learned in Hebrews, God disciplines those he loves. We get spankings. Why? To correct us, to change us. So, when then you cross the street again for the second time and get caught, guess what that punishment looks like? Maybe the worst punishment of your life? And then guess what happens? You don't ever do it again. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. Would have been better had you just listened to the warning. But if you can't listen to the warning then God's going to give you some spankings. Why? Because God doesn't want us ending up here. He doesn't want us here. That's why the warning's here. To scare you. To scare hell out of you. Why? Because if anyone's name is not written in the book of life, then you will be thrown into the lake of fire. There's, there's either heaven, the book of life, or the lake of fire. And so what's our what's one of our takeaways? Not so much for us to be afraid because as we sung earlier okay, when God adopts you, when God picks you out and adopts you as one of his children, he doesn't let you go. Okay, we look in, in Romans 9 and believe wholeheartedly that 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 once you are truly, genuinely a believer, then you will always be a believer. But one of our takeaways needs to be, what is going on out there? I hope everybody in here has already confessed and, and, and is a follower of, of Christ. I, I, I believe that 
most people in here probably are, I do. But we have then a responsibility for the world, for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, our coworkers. Are we warning them? If you really believed that there's a place of eternal hell that's set aside for those who do not follow Jesus, how are you warning them? Now, it doesn't mean that you walk up to people and say, you're going to hell and you're going to die in eternal punishment, right? That's not what I'm saying. You know, though, you know that's what hell is. Are you warning anybody? Are you giving them the good news? Are you, are, are you explaining to them what Christianity has done for you in your life? Because if you're not, then you're somewhat of an accomplice. You know their, their schemes. You know their capers. They've told you about them. You've seen them. You know more are on the way, and you're just sitting there letting it ride. When you know, listen, you are going to get caught. You are going to get punished. There is a judgment, and that judgment is is harsh. Look, it's easy to be a believer, right? It's easy. It's it's not that complicated. You don't have to go through confirmation. You don't have to go through 16 weeks of class. You, you, You can... In the, in the middle of a service, say, I believe today, right now. Um, it's easy. Just a confession, a belief in your heart that Jesus is truly the Son of God will do it. But it's also very, very easy to reject. It's very easy to reject. People reject Jesus every day. More common, though, is neglect. How many people have you met that have like really willfully reject Christ? I mean, we've we've met some, but not most. Most are just like, eh, that's good for you. That's that's, that's cool. You have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, right? It's neglect within the church. if, If anyone in here runs the risk, it's because of neglect. Not because of full rejection. I don't think anybody in this room has fully rejected Christ. Is anybody neglecting Christ? That's what we have to be careful of. Finally, turn with me to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. We'll close with this. It's important that we always understand the character of God. And that's why we have the Bible so that we know his character, so we know who God is and his plan for his people. But Deuteronomy 32.4 says this, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. It may get a little confusing. You may not understand exactly how how grace works. But you need to understand and you need to get your arms around that God, our God, the living God of the universe, 
his work, his way is perfect. This is the perfect way to salvation. The perfect way to salvation is for us to rely on the blood of Christ. That's perfect. It's flawless. Did the sacrificial system work with the lambs and the goats and the rams and the, and the pigeons and the grain? And what, did that work? No. This is perfect. Are some of God's ways unjust? No. God's way is just. Those in the book of life deserve to be in the book of life. Those in the, in the, in the book of judgment deserve to be in the book of judgment. He is not unjust. He is upright and righteous. Let's pray.